Good morning. How we doing, y'all? Having a good morning? We awake? Well, hey, welcome to Union Chapel. Everybody, it's so good to be here. Such a, an honor. You know, just real quick, Addie and I, we love uh, just getting to be able to have the privilege of, of standing on the stage and leading every once in a while. So big shout out to our church, Union Chapel, and we're just so thankful for the leadership of Pastor Greg and Beth. They're amazing, aren't they? Are, I'm, yeah. Are you thankful too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome. Well, hey, thank you for going ahead and just quick passing the buckets down the aisles if, if you didn't get that in the video. And by the way, that's our kids' pastor, Alexa. And we figured, you know, she doesn't get to get up here all that often because she's always over there hanging out with kids. And I, people like me, we try to stay away from those situations. But we're really thankful for that. But we just wanted to give you a little bit of her funny and awesome personality. But today, we are continuing a series that Pastor Glenn kicked off for us last week called The Names of God, where we will be studying the Jehovah names of God for the, the next few weeks or so. And he did such a great job sharing on uh, the name of God found in Scripture, Jehovah Shalom, which is Siri's talking to me. Remember, she calls me your majesty. I wish she would have said it for proof. But last week, he did such a great job. Any of y'all here last week? Can we just give it up for Glenn? Such an awesome word. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Pastor Glenn. And so this week, I, I, I'd love to continue our series for us by talking about another name of God. But before we get to that, I want to ask a question. And you all know I like crowd participation. So can we participate a little this morning? You told me you were awake. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, I want to ask a question. How many, in here of, how many of you in here are like me and you would say you are a competitive person? I saw some hands like, shoot up. And like, you're like, I hate losing. Any of you are like mean competitive? You don't have to raise your hand for that. Some of y'all are like hitting your spouse. <laughs> just kidding. But I'm a, I'm a very competitive person myself. And I'll just tell you what, I'm not, I don't get to play sports anymore, but I, I like to play euchre. <laughs> and I'll just tell you, me and my family, Addie and I, we, we love to play against my two sisters. And I'll just say this, we hate losing to my sisters. And I, I'm one of those people that I get a little like bitter when I lose. You know, I'm like, mm, I lost. I hate you. You know what I'm saying? Like that kind of thing. I'm really competitive. And, but the thing about this situation is that Addie is really competitive as well. And so if you're married, especially to a person that's also competitive, you can understand that it gets a little dicey sometimes in co within competition. And so I want to share a story with you. Back in high school when I was a senior and Addie was a junior, you know, we're high school sweethearts. Everybody, oh, thank you. Very cute. I was, she was 15. I was 16. It was just a beautiful, in the, in the eyes of the Lord, he, you know, predestined all that stuff, whatever you want to say. But when I was a senior and she was a junior, uh, we decided that it would be, I think in her words, cute uh, to take the SAT together. <laughs> And so this was like a date for us, okay? So like we signed up together, it was awesome. And you know, that morning we, we showed up to the school that we were taking it at, at, you know, real early in the morning. It's like a six hour process, it's terrible. So if you're thinking about taking the SAT, maybe don't for fun at least. Um, 
but we showed up and you know we're walking in together it's like oh we're, we wanted everybody to know we we're dating and you know we're kind of like hey baby and you know we sign in and they take your id and all this stuff and then we move to the you know to the room where we take the test and i remember i'll never forget this and and listen you gotta understand this is my version of the story okay because i've got the microphone and she doesn't so maybe you'll ask for her version but this is my version <laughs> she at some point you know we're sitting there next to each other desks she at some point looks over at me and she says you know i'm gonna get a better score on this than you are i said hold up excuse me what did you just say to me <laughs> i'm gonna beat you i said why why why, why, why do you think that well it's because i'm a little smarter than you are no no you are not i know for a fact you are not smarter than me and so from there on it went from date to game on and i was like i was facing the book like i got every answer right it was crazy perfect score that's a joke i didn't get a perfect score but i remember you know it takes a couple months to get your scores back and so it was a lot it was a couple months of suspense y'all i'm telling you it was crazy and so finally one day i get this email and I, it says your scores are ready so i quick on my phone i open this up and i realize wow i got a 1640 i'm thinking i'm pretty smart pretty smart there's no way she got higher than that so i call her up hey honey got my score today she's like yeah me too i'm like awesome what'd you get she's like well what'd you get I said, no, what'd you get? No, what did you get? I said, I see how it's going to be. I said, I got a 1640. What'd you get? Silence. <laughs> Complete silence. It's a real story. Silence. I said, hey, did you, are you there? Is everything okay? She said, I'm not telling you what I, what I got. <laughs> I won't tell you. I said, why not? I beat you, didn't I? She's like, I'll never tell you. And I promise you, I'm not kidding. This is a real story. It took two years for her to tell me what she got on that test. And I just want it to be known online and everywhere here today, I won the competition. I'm teasing. She's is actually smarter than me. I just got lucky. But, you know, just all that to say, it kind of sucks to lose, right? <laughs> Can I say that? It's not fun to lose. It's not fun to be defeated. It, it's just not fun. <laughs> I don't like it. And even if you aren't really competitive, it just kind of sucks to lose. And here's what I know about human beings and life and, you know, being on the planet and all this stuff is that on planet Earth, defeat abounds. And what I mean, like maybe, maybe like defeat is everywhere. And maybe for you, it is like between maybe two of your friends, a fun competition or between your spouse, or maybe you are playing euchre with your family and you, you lose. And that is not fun. But also the, the problem with the world is that defeat comes in a little bit more personal and a little more deep of ways sometimes, right? Maybe for you, like it's spiritual, you're in your spiritual life. Maybe it's mental, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's, it's just anything in the world, a relational, and you experience defeat. And maybe you're like me. And, and sometimes in life, it's like, I feel like I'm losing more than I'm winning. And sometimes it feels like, have I even won ever? Anybody ever felt like that? I'm losing more than I'm winning. And I know that this is what we experience sometimes in life, is defeat. And all of us experience it. And so today, I want to tell you, I believe that God is actually the God of victory. 
and that God, yeah, and that you actually, when you were born, you were born with a purpose, a purpose to, to have victory in your life, to actually win the battles that come your way. And I believe today, and this is what I want to talk about today, we're going to look at a passage of scripture uh, about how God is the God of victory. And our word today, our name of God today is Jehovah Nisi, which means God our banner or God our victory. And this is found in one place in scripture in Ezekiel chapter 7, I'm sorry, not Ezekiel, Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. And we're going to throw these up on the screen. And you know, we got a tradition here at Union Chapel that we love to stand while we read the Word of God. So I'll just invite you to stand here while I read this. This is where we find the name Jehovah Nisi in the Bible, God of our victory. Here, let me read this to you. Verse 8, while the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. This is the same staff that Moses struck the rock with and water came out and he threw on the ground and it turned into a stake. So it's kind of a big deal. Verse 10, so Joshua did what Moses had commanded and he fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found them a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses and held up his hands so that so his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. Verse 14, after the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar there, here we go, and named it Yahweh Nisi or Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner, the Lord is my victory. He said, they have raised their fist against the Lord's throne, so now the Lord will be at war with the Amalek generation after generation. That's a good word. Can I just pray for us before we have a seat? Lord, thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that you're the, the God of victory. And so today, Lord, we just ask that your spirit would come and magnify in this place today. And we would see some chains broken, some victory happen, some wars won, and all that good stuff in you, Jesus. We love you so much. And just help us to have a great Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you can have a seat. So today, I want to talk about this victory thing. Is that okay with everybody? Are you with me today? Okay, thank you. I want to talk about this victory thing, and here's how I want to do it. I want to take you from kind of like point A all the way to point B today. It's going to be kind of a journey that we're going to take, but I think what I want to talk about today is going to really help some people. I think this is just a word that has helped me so much in the past year and a half or so in my life, and I really think that this is going to be a blessing to you today. But I want to jump into a story here in the beginning of the book of Exodus. So we're kind of going backwards a little bit with this Israel thing. But in the beginning of the book of Exodus, we find a group of people called the Israelites, and the Israelites are God's chosen people. This is God's nation in the Old Testament, okay? And the problem is that the Israelites are held as slaves. They are held as captives in another nation called Egypt. 
And so what happens in Exodus chapter 3 is God has raised up this, this young man, now, now grown up a little bit, named Moses. And he actually comes to Moses in the form of a burning bush. It's like a bush that's on fire. I know it sounds weird, but this is what happened. And what happens is Moses, he goes up to this bush and he actually hears the audible voice of the Lord speaking to him. And he says, Moses, he says, I've heard the cries of my people. They're in pain. They're my people. And I'm not letting it happen any longer. And he says, Moses, I'm choosing you. Moses, my servant, you are going to lead my people out of captivity, out of Israel, into the wilderness, and eventually into this place called the promised land. And so Moses kind of makes him nervous for a second. You know, he doesn't know if he can do it or not, but eventually he, he agrees. And so what we see is God does so, tons of miracles through Moses, and eventually Moses actually sets, he leads the, the nation of Israel out of Egypt across the Jordan River, I'm sorry, the Red Sea, the Jordan River comes later, the Red Sea and into the wilderness. And listen, I just had this random thought in the last service. Maybe they kind of looked at me like I was weird, but maybe some of y'all have had this before. Sometime I think like in heaven, someday there's gonna be like a big screen TV where you can like just go to God and ask like, hey, you know, we, I wasn't alive back in like a thousand BC. Can you show me like the, an, the angel live feed of what was going on. And do you have any of all maybe ever thought of this? Like, I wish I could see what happened. One of these things for me is the parting of the Red Sea. <laughs> I've always just wanted to see that. Sounds cool to me. I don't know. Maybe y'all will watch with me in heaven. I don't know. But anyway, so Moses, that's a complete sidetrack. Forgive me. So Moses leads the, the nation of Israel out of Egypt, and now they're in the wilderness. And God makes all of these amazing promises to Moses and the nation of Israel. He says, you know, you are going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. I'm taking you to a promised land. I'm taking you to this place. You can't even imagine how good it really is. And I'm going to be with you. We're going to, you know, dwell together, be in relationship together. And the whole world's going to be blessed through, through y'all. And, you know, you're going to be led there by Moses. And Moses was this amazing, amazing man who is just such a great leader. And, you know, the Bible says that Moses talked to God face to face like a friend talks to a friend. And Moses at one point, like, kind of saw God. He saw the glory of God. And, and Moses was like... God's favorite person, basically. And so what I'm trying to say is Moses was an amazing dude, an amazing leader, amazingly loved by God, tons of favor by God. And his task was take my people into the promised land. And Moses's success basically was measured by do my people get the promises that I have promised? Will you take my people into the promised land? Will you get my people into the blessing and the victory that I have prepared for them? This was Moses' success. Rose and fell. I almost forgot the word. I almost said rised and felled. <laughs> Rose and fell based on this fact. This is interesting. I'm going to move on to the next story here in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. And I'm not going to read this for you. It's a bit of a story. And so I'm just going to kind of tell it to you in the Cole Farlow translation. Um, but I really encourage you to go read this at some point. It's a really good story. But fast forward, they've been traveling through the wilderness now towards the promised land behind Moses. And in Numbers 13 and 14, we get to this moment where they have come close enough to this promised land that 
they hatched this plan to send 12 spies ahead of them and spy out the land. Okay, so they choose a person from each tribe in Israel and they gather them and they say, hey, y'all, here's your mission. You know, you're going to sneak past all the people. You're going to go scope out the land. You're going to take some notes. You're going to bring us back the report. Okay, and so they send them out. The people, they go and they spy out the land. They come back to the Israel camp and they say, hey, Moses, Aaron, we have our report. And they, you know, collectively, they're like, you know, the land is awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. We love it there. It's like Florida is probably what they said. I love Florida, by the way. It's like Florida beaches and everything. You know, I don't, they just said it's amazing. But there was a few of them. They said, but there are giants there, giants. And it says that they said that they make us look like grasshoppers when we stand next to them. There is no way in the world that we could ever take this land. They are gi they're giants. Do you understand? Giant people. We could not win. We could not take this. And not only that, there are armies surrounding this land that we probably couldn't even get through them to get to the giants. And essentially what they said is, we are terrified to move ahead. And the conclusion that they all came to was, let's go back to Egypt. Let's actually go back to slavery. We're scared. I know God said, I know, but I'm scared. We don't want to, we don't want to go. And what we see here in this story is, well, how, let me just ask this first. How many of y'all know Moses actually didn't end up taking the people of God into the promised land? He wasn't actually the guy that took them into the promised land. He, this amazing, remember, amazing Moses talks to God face to face, saw the glory of God. He's like, Moses, you're the man that's going to take my people into the promised land. He doesn't actually get them to the promised land. And what we see in this story is I really believe that part of the reason that Moses didn't get the people to the promised land, he didn't succeed, is because a few people's fear actually kept almost one and a half million Israelites from inheriting the victory that God had for them. I'm going to say that again. A few people's fear of what's ahead actually kept a million and a half Israelite people from inheriting the very promise that God had for them. That's crazy to me. And so Moses isn't the guy. And so what we have coming up next in, in, the, next, in the next book, actually Moses ends up dying before they get there. And this is where we're going to pick up in the big story here in the book of Joshua. Listen, I'm telling you all a story that spans like six books here. So thank you for letting me skip a, a few details. Okay, we're going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to look at Joshua chapter one, starting in verse one here. I'm going to read a little bit of this to you. Okay, again, we're not putting it on the screen. I just want you to soak. You ready? Good. Here we go, Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the Lord spoke to Joshua, and he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you, Joshua, to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River and into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses, that wherever you set foot, you will be on land that I have given to you, from the south to the north to the east, to the west. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Here we go. You ready? 
Verse six, be strong and courageous for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give to them. One more time, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book continually and meditate on it night and day so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Here we go. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua is actually the leader that ended up leading the Israelite people into the promised land. Maybe you've heard of the Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Anybody? That's my song I learned in Sunday school back in the day. Maybe you've heard that story. Joshua was actually the man, the leader that got the, God's people into the victory that God had prepared for them. And I just want to propose today that what kept the Israelites out of the promised land under Moses, fear, I believe that actually Joshua's courage and his ability to stand up to fear was actually what led the Israelites into the promised land later on. And so today I want to talk to you about two things. One, you probably guessed it, fear. Two, courage. Just two things. And I want to propose that today, if we choose to stand up to fear and say, I will not bow to you, you can actually inherit victory and win battles. And it's going to be really cool. You just watch. We've seen it already in two services. It's going to be awesome. Are you ready? Let's talk about fear first. I believe fear keeps people from victory. Fear keeps people from victory. It's like God prepared a victory for me, but I think fear actually keeps people from inheriting the victory. And here's what I've been, you know, I've been thinking about this for a while now, over a year, a year and a half maybe, is I really, I really kind of think that fear is probably the most or one of the most socially accepted sins in the church today. Now, listen, I'll explain that a little bit. I'm not talking about like, okay, I got like a bad fear of spiders. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking like if God has a plan for my life and I'm afraid to take a step towards it, I think that's the kind of thing that is actually really socially accepted in our culture today. And I really believe that that kind of fear actually keeps people from things like their victory, their destiny, and the plan and the, the, the thing ahead of us that God has already prepared for us. Fear of like, what, what are they going to think? If I actually at work, I start to live an honorable life, the life the, the, and make the decisions I know I'm supposed to make, build the relationships I know I'm supposed to make, step out of my comfort zone when I know I'm supposed to. What are people actually going to think? Or what if I let somebody into my thing that I have, that thing that I like to hide? Maybe nobody knows about it. What, what if I let somebody in actually? What would happen? Would I lose somebody? Would they hate me? Would they leave me? You know, what if I feel like, what if it's just, here's a good example, tithing. It's like, man, I know I'm supposed to give 10%, but stuff's really tight right now. And I'm a little nervous about, you know, what if God doesn't actually come through? 
You know what I'm saying? Those kinds of things. It's like, if I actually do what I feel like I'm supposed to do, is it actually good on the other side? I'm a little scared. And what I think happens in our culture today is fear actually begins to reduce us and makes us smaller than we were created to be. I love asking this question. I ask this to our students all the time, so I apologize if you heard me say this 15 times now. (laughs) What would you do in your life? And I'm not necessarily talking like with with your life, like career-wise or anything. I'm honestly more so talking about just day-to-day probably. What would you do in your life if you were uh, 10 times more bold? And if you're like, if you like notes, maybe you just write this down quick. What would you do in your life if you're 10 times more bold? Or maybe another way to say this is, what would you do with your life if you were 10 times less afraid? Does that make sense? And it's really interesting seeing people's answers to this question because I kind of believe that if your answer doesn't line up with what you're currently doing in your life or how you're currently living your life, I think fear has actually reduced you to be smaller than you were created to be. Excuse me. Do you hear what I said? I believe fear has actually reduced you to live a life that is smaller than you were actually destined to live. And so what we see is that, you know, people in our culture, we, we obey fear so often that it has actually created Christians, Jesus followers, okay? And this, you're going to have to forgive me for this one because this might be a little bit of a tough pill to swallow, but it has actually reduced us in our culture to my only responsibility as a Jesus follower is to kind of live just a, you know, live a life and, you know, make money and maybe be a good dad and then show up to church on Sundays. And then I'm done. And I just want to say, y'all, I think you're so, I think you were made for so much more. I think we were made for so much more. I think we were made and created to, to go out and win battles and to take on the earth and take on the enemy and, and, and crush him, not let him crush us. That's what I believe. And I don't think you're little. Can I just say that? I don't think you're little. And I don't think the God of the universe, his best creation of all time is garbage. Are y'all with me? That's a good word. Nope, too late. I'm teasing y'all. But I really do. I think fear is a huge problem for us. Um, You know, I I get to meet with a lot of people, and I love talking about this topic because, you know, I I have a personal relationship with fear in my life, and we'll get to that sort of at the end a little bit. Um, But I love meeting with people as a pastor. It's like my favorite thing to do, just doing ministry with people one-on-one. And we talk a lot about this thing. You know, I I ask people, like, what's your biggest fear? And I, I, I feel like a lot of people don't, know that they're afraid. I I get a lot of answers like, well, I don't feel afraid. And how many of you know, if you're afraid of flying and you don't get on a plane, you have reduced your life to accommodate for the fear. Does that make sense? So you don't actually feel your fear because you have, your life surrounds it so much to the point where you actually aren't in, in any situations where you feel the fear. And so what happens is like, we'll just say this, if you are made to be a lover of people, maybe that's you, you know, God's like, I'm creating that person, they're gonna love people well. And what happens is the enemy actually meets you in that. He says, wow, that's where their greatness is. I'm gonna place this like fear of, you know, 
I'm afraid of what people think of me. I'm terrified of, of, you know, if people really love me or not. Or if they knew who I was, they wouldn't love me. That sort of thing. You see what I'm saying? And so what we do is we actually reduce our lives to accommodate for those fears. And in turn, we actually are never stepping into the very things that God has created us to do. The very victory that we are created to grab onto and hold onto. I hope I'm making sense. Because this makes sense in my head. And so I think, again, fear is reducing us. And what, what I love, a pastor that I love says this saying, uh, again, that I love, is that the dogs of doom stand at the gates of destiny. The dogs of doom stand at the gates of destiny. And so there's kind of like two ways in life to know what you're supposed to do. And again, I'm talking like day to day, mostly, is one, what would you do for free? What would you do for free? That makes sense. And two, what are you terrified of? Because I really think those moments where we brush up against that victory, that destiny, that thing that we were created for, I think that is exactly where our biggest things meet us. It's like the enemies, I don't want him in there, her in there, so I'm putting my biggest dog in front of the door. And so it's like, man, how do you know what you're supposed to do? Well, I'm terrified to... uh, give money. Well, maybe you're supposed to. You know, I'm terrified to build relationships with people at work and maybe, you know, invite them over for dinner. I'm terrified of that. Well, maybe that's exactly what you're made to do. (laughs) And I know that's not the most comforting thing to hear, but those are the places where you find victory. And I just want to say this, and I'll be done with this fear thing, is that fear is a liar. Fear is a liar. What I love about this story is uh, the Israelites, you know, they're, remember the few people that they were afraid of giants actually kept all of their nation out of the promised land for a while. Is, I don't, maybe you don't know this, but the nation of Israel actually never encountered a single giant for hundreds of years after they got into the promised land. And in fact, in all of Israel's history, we only have record of them ever encountering one giant. Who is it? It's Goliath. And guess what? That giant was killed by a 13-year-old kid. (laughs) We're terrified of the giants. Great. You're not even going to see any. And when you see one, hundreds of years after you're dead, a kid's going to kill it. And so what we see is often the fear of the future, like what is to come, is almost always way worse than what is actually ahead. And I always talk about the boogeyman. This is a great illustration for this. Like, I was scared of the boogeyman, you know, crap like that when I was younger. You know, just all that fake stuff. I was real scared. It kept me up at night to the point where it, like, controlled my sleep habits and stuff. And how many of y'all know the boogeyman's not real? (laughs) Some of y'all are like, preach. You needed to hear that. Should have brought my kids today. You know what I'm saying? But it's like we're terrified of things that actually aren't probably real. And so our fear controls us. Something that's not actually real actually controls our lives and keeps us from this victory God has for us. Do you understand anything about fear after I just talked about it for a little bit? Great, I'm going to preach on the next thing. The next thing is the key to beating fear, I believe, is courage. I believe it's courage. I don't think courage is a uh, emotion. I don't think courage is a feeling. I think courage is a choice. And I think like if we were to interview people and you know, you ask what is courage, I think well, actually a lot of people would say, you know, courage is probably 
the absence of fear. The absence of fear. But I want to just ask, like, have, has, have you ever met a fearless person? I think I met, like, one in my life, and this kid was probably insane. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if you ever meet a fearless person, it's like, man, what you do is really dumb. You know what I mean? And what I'm trying to say is, like, normal people, normal, we experience fear. Right? We experience fear. But I just want to propose it's what you actually do with the fear when it comes that determines whether or not you are a courageous person or not. And I believe that Joshua actually experienced the same exact fears that Moses did. He just said, I am not going to listen to my fear today. I believe that fear or courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the presence of yes. I butchered that. I'm saying it again. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the presence of yes. That is a good word. It's, it's, it's when I'm standing here and I'm shaking because I'm so terrified of what, what I feel like God wants me to do is that I'm still going to choose it. Is that when I see everybody going that way from my work, in my family, in my small group, whatever, when I see them all going that way, I'm terrified of what's going to happen, but I'm choosing that because I believe that's what God wants me to do. And I believe on the other side of that is a victory better than anything I've ever experienced before. That's what courage is. And I believe that it's courageous people that inherit victory from God. I really do. And the cool thing about courageous people inheriting victory is that a, a, a personal victory, when you win a personal battle, it actually becomes a public battle. A personal victory always leads to a public victory. And so what we see, this is a great example. It's the easy example, easiest example I have is, you know, people are like, why is Union Chapel so great? I'll tell you why. It's because one man that stands up here chose to go in a different direction and obey the Lord time after time after time again. And we actually get to sit here and reap the blessing from the courage that he had over and over. Yes. And so what happens is when you go and get a victory out of courage, other people for free in your family, at your work, in your church, I'll take it. <laughs> Get it for free too. You know, Goliath kind of prophesied this whole thing when him and David were about to square off and fight. Goliath actually was the one that said, hey, if you beat me, we will all serve you. But if I beat you, you will all serve us. In other words, whoever wins our victory is the nation's victory. A personal victory always becomes a public victory. And so going after a victory is that much better. And here's the last thing I want to propose about courage is that I believe God is almost always looking for one person who will step out of the crowd. And I believe that it's always usually one person that's willing to step out and say, I'm going in a different direction that changes the course of history and gets victory, not for just themselves, but the people around them. One person, you know that the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth, looking for a man whose heart is set on him. You know how many, you know the story of Noah and the ark? It's like God's looking for one righteous man, just one. You know, there are the stories where God, he, in his Old Testament stuff, where he's frustrated with a city and he's like, you know, I'm just gonna wipe them out. And, but if I can find one righteous person, 
I will spare the whole town. I just believe so much in my heart that so often God is just looking for one person who's going to say, I'm going that way. I know everybody's going that way. I'm going to go that way. And, you know, something I hear as a pastor all the time and, you know, all over is like if we just gathered all the churches in our city, you know, we could finally change our city. And just even as like a youth, it's like, man, if we could just rally together all the youth groups, you know, we could finally change our school. And I like, can I just propose, that's not a bad thing, but like Jesus could barely get 12 guys to get along. How are we going to get 50 youth groups to all cooperate? You know what I'm saying? And I just want to, what I'm saying is I think God is looking for a person to step out and change the course of history. Maybe for your family, maybe for your workplace, maybe for your small group, maybe for us. You know, I don't know. One courageous person. It's a great illustration. There's a woman who was named Kitty Genovese. Um, and in 1964, this is fascinating to me. I was reading about this just uh, about a month ago or so, and it just fascinated me. But in 1964, Kitty Genovese was uh, like kind of brutally, I apologize, raped and murdered um, on the side of the street in New York City. And you know, crime happens all the time in New York and you know in our world. And um, but the interesting thing, the, pe- the thing that caught people's attention on this one was that this, in this particular case, 38 people witnessed it and did absolutely nothing. 38 people. I read this and I was like, are you stinking kidding me? <laughs> 38 people. And so obviously, you know, this caught their attention. And so researchers and scientists, they began to to conduct some studies. And what they did, one of the studies they did was they would go to these college campuses in these dorms and they would stage these seizures in the rooms next door to where people were living. And what they found was when they would stage a seizure and there was one person in the room next door, almost 100% of the time, almost 100% of the time, somebody would do something. knock on the door, call somebody, they would just do something to help. But also what they found was that if they staged this seizure and in the next room there were four or more people, almost never did they do anything about it. And what they came up with at the end of all this study was something called the bystander effect. Maybe you've heard of this. It's something like still studied in, in psychology today. But in other words, when in a crowd, everybody thinks somebody else is gonna do something about the problem. Everybody always thinks somebody else is going to do something about the problem. And I just want to say, I believe God is looking for one person, one, who says, I will not do life at work the same. My family has a history of this for generations. It ain't going to be me. I see people scared to stand up and step out in faith. It ain't going to be me today. Everybody lives like this at school. I know I'm not supposed to. It's not going to be me. And I'm terrified of what's ahead. But I know that God is who he says he is. And he promised me victory. And it's probably better than I could ever imagine. And so I'm choosing courage. I think God's looking for one person. And I think it might be you. (laughs) I think it might be you. 
And so I want to close with a story today. Yeah, you guys can come up here and do your thing. I want to close with just a kind of a personal story. Uh, many of you, you know, I've been talking, I talk, I'm not ashamed of uh, my own personal testimony that's, you know, happened in my life over the past, you know, couple years or so. But um, I, uh, about a year and a half ago, we were at a camp with some of our students and, you know, we had taken some of them to this camp and we were sitting actually in a service and, you know, it was just kind of like this worship message, you know, that whole thing. And uh, it was great. Awesome. The week was going phenomenally. You know, God was moving. It was, I, I couldn't ask for more. And what happened about the third day in or so, I, I was sitting there and, you know, we got kind of towards the end of the service. They were playing the final few worship songs. And I, I had these like strong, intrusive, kind of dark thoughts really just shoved their way into my mind. Just as I was sitting there. And it went, it, something along the lines of this, is you will fail. It's gonna be bad. It's gonna be embarrassing. Everybody's gonna know. They will reject you. All the dreams you've ever had, gone, silly. Why would you even dream those things? The people that you thought love you, don't really. Nobody's on your side. Things like this. And I began for the first time ever, had no idea what was happening, zero idea to have an anxiety attack, panic attack. And, you know, I start hyperventilating. I start in this fear magnifies. And, and over the course of the next, you know, six, seven, eight months or so, this thing got real, real bad, really bad. And it was killing me. It was killing me. I couldn't go to bed at night. I can't get out of bed in the morning. I would wake my wife up in the middle of the night, just flipping out. That's the best way I can describe it. And she'd have to sit there every night. She'd just get on her phone and play the song, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble in my ear until it would stop, sometimes 45 minutes or so. Honestly, agony. And one kind of, I know I'm making kind of a long story short, but one morning, it was a Monday morning, you know, we do our 180 stuff on Sunday nights. And it was a Monday morning, I was kind of spending some time with God. It's, you know, my, my day off. And so I'm just sitting there kind of spending some time with God. And honestly, just to the point of, I'm like just begging. I'm just as weak as I could possibly be. And I, I kind of hear him speak to me. And what I do is I, I take notes of whenever I feel like I hear God speak to me, I, I write it in red, actually. So I can, you know, better just, I want to better learn to hear the voice of God and discern the voice of God. And I know that takes practice and that's another topic for another time. But, you know, I write it in red. And, and what I hear God ask me to do are three things that I'm actually completely, utterly terrified of doing. First thing, one, you need, you, well, first, first and foremost, you have to actually let people in. It's just what I felt. I'm terrified that anybody's ever going to find out. Ter absolutely terrified. You know, I'm supposed to be a pastor. I'm supposed to have it all together. What's wrong with me? Like, these are the thoughts going through my mind. So three things. He says, well, first, you got to let your family in. And so I, I talked to my parents. I talked to my father-in-law. And guess what I'm met with? Cole, we love you. We're for you. How can we help? We want to fight for you. What can we do? I mean, my mom 
God bless her. She was almost annoying. She was so helpful. <laughs> Second thing, you gotta let your church into this mess. And I knew, I'm like, gosh, I'm like, darn it, man, come on. You know, I'm talking back. I'm like, Lord, are you sure? Yes. <laughs> so I, seriously, I was terrified to talk to Pastor Greg, terrified, honestly, maybe shaking. And I did it. Guess what I was met with? What's wrong with you? <laughs> we're for you. Why would you ever think we're not? We love you, Cole. How can we help? How can we help get you out of this mess? You know what I mean? And then thirdly, I knew I was supposed to get some professional help. And I was very scared of this because honestly, y'all, I thought counseling was for crazy people back in the day. Guess what? Now I just think it's for human beings. I think like if you're breathing, you probably need to go to counseling. I'm serious. Humans, we're messed up, y'all. It's bad. We need help. I'll probably pursue counseling to some degree for the rest of my life now. It's amazing. But in those three things, I had to say yes. I was so terrified, so, so scared. But guess what? I have been now almost nine, ten months free completely of anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, all of that stuff completely. all about the courage. You know, uh, just a side note quick before we close here is I, I was thinking about this this morning is when I was going into ministry, wrestling with my call in the ministry, uh, I was a freshman in college. I seriously, I took the entire year. I was wrestling with this thing. Honestly, I knew I needed to do it. You want to know one of the biggest things that held me back? I was scared of talking in front of people. You tell me. You know what I'm saying? It's like, a, I, like what I was talking about. Of course the enemy meets me right there, right in that thing. Of, like, you should be afraid of what people think of you. No, I'm going to go and tell as many possible stinking people about the gospel with the rest of my life that I can because that's what I was born to do. And I believe these are the kind of situations that we're all wrestling with to some degree this morning. And so I wanna, I wanna bring some victory into the room today. Can we do that? Come on, here we go. So I'm gonna ask you to be courageous. Yeah, it's crazy, we're participating in church. I love you. I wanna ask you to be courageous. And so here's my question is, is there a situation in your life where you're like, yeah, I'm sensing that. I, knew, I need to let somebody into that secret. Or my marriage is rough and we probably need to bring it to the light or get counseling or money situation, work situation, kids situation. Maybe you just have a conflict with somebody and you're kind of scared to go and work it out with them, but you know you're supposed to. Any, any stuff like that, you feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit in your life, but you're also met with fear that's almost debilitating. I wanna ask you, do you have that? And today, would you be willing to choose courage and maybe take your first step into victory? And so what I'm gonna do is I'm actually gonna have you stand up, not now, in a second. But first, I wanna say two things, two things. One, you're like, Cole, you didn't ask people to close their eyes. Can I just, can we just be on? Nobody closes their eyes for real anyway. <laughs> Okay, you know I'm right. I'm like this the whole time. Especially when I became a pastor, I'm like, I can look. And two, and again, this might be a little bit of a pill to swallow, it's okay. 
you can do it, is I really believe that if we can't choose courage in here in front of our family members, how are we ever gonna choose it out there? And I really truly believe that there's an anointing that the Lord wants to give to some of you today that are like, yeah, I'll stand. And I just really don't think that if you can't stand and receive it in here, how are you gonna carry it out there? And I, I'm sorry, that's harsh, but I really think it's true. And so today I wanna ask, would there be some of you in the room today, you're like, yes, I want freedom, I want victory, I'm tired of losing, I'm competitive, and I wanna start beating the devil. Would you stand? Amazing. Okay, here we go. We're a family. Now, here's what I want you to do. Maybe you're standing, that's fine. Put your arm, if it's appropriate, you know, lay hands on the people that are standing up. Okay, can we just like gather around some of these people? Maybe if you're just a whole family, just get together. And I'm gonna pray for y'all. Because I really think there's some victory to be had here today. Awesome. So Jesus, we just praise you, God. Thank you again that you're the, the God of our victory. God, our banner, Lord. And so we just raise our banner high this morning, Lord. And we say, we are for you. And this step of courage is for you, Lord. No longer will we be reduced by fear. God, I pray that you give us wisdom and discernment in these situations. I pray that we'd be able to hear your voice clearly so that we can step out in courage in the things that you really want us to. And God, I just pray right now, we're about to sing a song called Do It Again, that what you did in my life, Lord, that you would do it again and do it again and do it again right here in this room, Lord, and beyond as well. And I pray that the anointing and the blessing of freedom you gave to me, God, you would release it right now in the name of Jesus. Right now, Lord, we love you. We love you. Thank you for being our victory. In Jesus' name, amen.